Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. The Agora Podcast Network. Agora is a marketplace of the mind, where intelligent, independent podcasts meet curious and discerning listeners. Our network of shows includes... American Biography. The Bohemian Podcast. How Jamaica Conquered the World. The History of the Papacy. The History of England. The History of Alchemy Podcast. Mid-Atlantic. When Diplomacy Fails. 1001 Conversations. History of Anglo-Saxon England. The Secret Cabinet from Germany. Ten American Presidents. The History of Germany Podcast. The Agora Podcast Network.com. Listen to Agora today. Before we start the show, I'd just like to remind you all that Roundtable Talk is part of the Agora Podcast Network. The Agora Podcast Network is a network of independently crafted podcasts from some of the best podcasters from around the world. This month, we are featuring the excellent History of China podcast by Chris Stewart. I recommend you go to iTunes, Acast, or your favorite podcaster of choice today to go and download this excellent series. Hello and welcome to Agora's Roundtable Talk. Today we will turn the microphone on each other and simply ask who are we and why with the aid of 23andMe, the kit that collects your DNA through a small saliva sample and provides you with over 100 genetic reports and importantly for us history geeks, our ancestry. So myself, Royfield Brown from How Jamaica Conquered the World and 10 American Presidents, David Crowther from the History of England, Travis Dow from Bohemian Podcast and the History of Germany, and Elias Belhadad from the History of Islam have had our spit collected and our racial ancestry has been traced. This show is about the results. Gentlemen, this is exciting. Who are we? And all will be revealed. Now, first, um, let's just say hello. Uh, David, uh, where exactly are you today? Hi, uh, Royfield and all. I'm in uh, I'm in my shed, as it happens, in uh, in England. The, the famous Crowther shed. Uh, well, the famous Crowther shed. Uh, and where exactly is that in England? Uh, it's near Oxford, Henley on between Henley on Thames, Oxford sort of area. So, uh, unfortunately, I've become a sudden softy. Ah, so uh, which is we'll, a bad thing. We'll, 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 we'll get on to your your pattern of migration a little bit later. Elias, where exactly are you today, sir? I'm in London, which is surprisingly sunny today. It's been raining the past couple of days, so that's a nice change. And how about you, Travis? Well, it's too too early in the morning for it to be sunny, but I'm in sunny Santa Clara in uh, California. 
Not not too far from yourself, I believe. Exactly. So currently, I am in San Francisco, also in the Golden State of uh, California. I want to come back on to you, David, because uh, before we come on to exactly our results, I think we should have a little bit of an understanding of where we were all born and where do you think your your family came from. Um, so, David Crowther, as I said, over to you first. Uh, uh, where were you born and where do you think your family came from before you actually took the test? Uh, I was born in Leicester, a place which essentially most of the uh, great British public passes on the motorway. Um, and, and salutes now. No, they salute now after yours. Well, that's that's true. Yes, well, after I winning the, uh, the, the the premiership. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yes, good lord. In my youth, they played a ten-one formation with ten guys in the goal and a guy called Frankie Worthington up front. So yes, that's <laughs> great. Won't go into that too much more. So um, yes, I come from Leicester, but of course my uh, my parents came from York and uh, and Cheshire respectively. Mm-hmm. So you know, my entire youth was spent sort of looking north. Whereas my working life has been, um, right there, wrongly spent looking south. All right, so for the, for the purposes of this show, Leicester is in the Midlands, so the middle of England, but your parents were from, from the north of England. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so what exactly did you think you were um, ethnically, racially, before taking the test? Okay, well, the, um, I guess the family law was that the Crowthers come from Halifax. Mm-hmm. And um, the other bit of family law is that nobody really had done anything very exciting in the the Crowther, which is my obviously my father's family and the Walkers, my mother's family, uh, in uh, you know in living memory. Um, essentially, the weird, uh, the Walkers farmed the Vale of York and uh, ran the odd shop in in York, and the Crowthers exploited the workers in cotton mills <laughs> going back hundred years or whatever. Um, and that, you know, that was family law, that uh, Halifax was the centre of our, our, our existence and where we came from. There was uh, there's just a little bit of hope that uh, since the word Crowther comes from Cruth, which is a Welsh lute, mm-hmm. there was just a little help that there was a hope that there was a little exotic Welsh connection in there somewhere. But since no one in my family has any musical talent, it would have had to have been a very, very long time ago. So yeah. the family law has been dull, British, northern. That's your lot. Right, over to you, Elias, in in London. Uh, Tell us a little bit about where you were born and then where your family hails from. I was born in London, but both my parents were born and raised in Algeria and their parents were from Algeria as well. So I was expecting to be predominantly Arab, but with healthy mixes of maybe Berber, uh, maybe even... Turkish because of the uh, Ottoman Empire's presence in Algeria and I actually had a chat with one of my grandmothers, the one who's still alive and she believed that we had Turkish in us so that was the one thing that would have been a bit of a surprise that I was realistically maybe expecting but other than that it was all just a vanilla Arab uh, expectation. <laughs> vanilla Arab, I, I like that. So I have to say, Elias, your your sounds a good deal more exciting than mine. <laughs> uh, so I was born in Corvallis, Oregon, which is in the Pacific Northwest of the United States. But I'm not Native American. Um, the the family the family story, the family tradition, uh, makes no mention of that. So the family tradition was that we are. Scottish mostly and Irish and I know that my uh, great grandfather comes from Frankfurt so and I've never I've never met him he kind of disappeared when my 
grandmother was six, but so that's that's what the family tradition was. Um, Scottish, Irish, and a quarter German. So where am I? Um, <laughs> well, currently I'm actually in, in California, but I was born in Birmingham, which is in the Midlands of England, uh, the second city of the UK. And uh, I know that my parents are Jamaican uh, and, and they've been in, in the UK for some 50 kind of 60 odd years now uh that kind of lines me up as being ethnically uh black mm-hmm. okay so so gents um and i'm going to start with you first david we all are history podcasters did any of our ideas of exactly who we are it was ethnically or, or our nationality did they have did that have any effect on uh the podcast that we decided to do uh, i'm going to start with you first there david uh, yes, I think it did. I always felt I had a very patriotic father, actually, and that was kind of in the blood and in the air. And then I loved the story of history. So I've always read about the history of England and the history of other places, too. But that's been a thread through my life. Uh, I did a history degree. So doing a podcast was, you know, just a, an opportunity for me to talk to everybody about a story that I love anyway. And that story as far as you're concerned should say that you're an anglo-saxon possibly with uh you've got a bit of yorkshire in you with maybe an odd bit of viking and then we're hoping for a little bit of a celtic fringe is that as well there are we yeah actually i mean i think uh, one of the things that of course the 23andme kit doesn't really tell you is the difference between which part of uh, britain and ireland you're from that's one category mm-hmm. but yes i was expecting pretty much down the line uh, you know uh, British since time immemorial, as it were. Moving over to you, Elias, your parents are Algerian. Yeah. So why not the history of Algeria? Algeria as a state is a modern, it's a modern invention. Um, I think it's only been around for a little over 50 years. And in the past, in the North African region, the states that would dominate were either based in Morocco and sometimes in Tunisia. So Algeria as a state doesn't really have that much history. So, but I, I'm I'm guessing then that your folks are Muslim, hence you decided to do the history of Islam as a way of at least honouring um, your heritage. Well, I think consciously, I don't think that came into play, but subconsciously there might have been something there because since I was quite young, I was always quite enthusiastic about history in general, but also the history of areas that I might have originated from. So I was always keen at looking at the rise of the Islamic empires and how they spread through the Middle East and the rest of the world. So for that reason, I was always interested in just looking into the story of how that came about. And same question over to you in Santa Clara, Travis. Yeah, I... I mean, I grew up in Germany, so that that kind of uh, gives me my my history of Germany component. Or I lived in in Prague, I did, so I wasn't like uh, related to to any of those places. I was always kind of an expat, um, but definitely trying to figure out. Like there was actually, I did a mini series in in the history of Germany about Celts and and um, what came before, like what was what was in that area before the Germanic tribes. And I looked at, and while I was reading that, I looked at the UK too because um, Neanderthals, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely, definitely trying to. Well, also, also, yeah, I talked about that Heidelbergensis, all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, definitely trying to figure out, like, okay, where did I come from, and what does that mean? Who were those people? Um, 
were they were they conquered and and how long ago and you know what was that like and oh yeah of course you you try to go back to your own past in a way and and um, find out all kinds of cool things. Um, and, and just for full disclosure, my folks are uh, of Jamaican descent. Um, both moved to the UK when I was uh, when I was both moved to the UK in the early nineteen sixties. Uh, my father's from a place just outside of Kingston called St. Thomas. My mother from another place just outside of Kingston called St. Andrew. So I presumed that I was predominantly of West African stock because black folks were taken to uh, the West Indies as slaves. Uh, with um, the family law goes with some Scottish blood. So that's what I was expecting. Uh, yeah. And my grandmother, my mother's side of the family are all quite fair uh, for black people. So my mother has green eyes. My grandmother also had green eyes. So also, also her great-grandmother. So um, I was expecting uh, to have a, quite a component of, um, of Scottish blood in me. So so that's where I come from. Um, now for the big reveal. M- Mr Crowther, what did the tests tell you about um, who exactly your, your ancestors were? Uh, Mr Brown, well, uh, as it happens... They, um, largely speaking, they confirmed all of our prejudices. So <laughs> actually, that wasn't that wasn't a bad thing, actually. And there are a few things from that. One of the things that did come out is that there's so I'm 100 percent European. There was a percentage. So quite a large percentage around well, 75 percent. Sorry, was British and Irish. And then there's a, a reasonable percentage, 5 percent, which is Scandinavian. Mm-hmm. So that speaks of the Viking heritage, and that's great. I've always thought of myself as a Viking. I've always wanted to be called David Bloodaxe or David the Red. <laughs> uh, you know, so that that was great. And that was oh, really right, good David the Boneless. <laughs> a... David the Boneless. That's, you know, you have to. You really have to be able to carry a name like David the Boneless. Otherwise, you get ended up like a name like David the Plonker or something. We don't want anything yeah. like that. So. <laughs> So that was great. Um, and of course, you know, the Northern Connection, that's, you know, Scandinavian all over. There's 2% French and German, actually, which, which is quite interesting and talks of that interrelationship between Britain and the continent, mm-hmm. uh, which has been so important to our history, and particularly opposite now, actually, given the, um, uh, the Brexit result. There was a tiny, tiny soupçon, uh, 1% of uh, broadly Southern European. And... Um, mm. It made me reflect a couple of things without wanting to be boring, and I won't rattle on too long, but uh, I reflected a couple of things. First is that we're all used to mobility now. Mm. Uh, there's this other site I've been into, actually, about surnames and where they're located, and I think it compares 1881 and 1991 or something. And in 1881, so all the surnames uh, is... Crowther's surname is just Halifax. If you go on it now, it's a little bit more diverse, but actually it's still Halifax. Um, and I think the point that it helped me remember is that we're used to mobility now. We think that's the way it is. And yes, there was a lot of mobility. But through most of our history, the actions of kings and emperors and popes and all the rest were very, very distant. And people stayed in their locality and they worked in their locality and they died in their locality. Uh, on the other hand, the other, the final point I'd make is that that thing about um, uh, that 1% Southern European there's a famous story about Bede, who's the 8th century um, chronicler, Venerable Bede, who tells us most a lot, awful lot of what we know about the Anglo-Saxon England, that when he dies, he donates all his his um, possessions. And amongst there is a pepper. 
which probably came from from trade with Byzantium, which until 1450 was an integral part of the European world. So that's what it told me. Wasn't dis wasn't disappointed. Delighted to know that the Crowlers are as dull as I thought they were. Um, <laughs> delighted that there's a bit of that, there's a bit of Viking in there uh, uh, for me. Significant bit of Viking, more than just a little bit. Significant, significant. Right. Because Dave, David and I are both just like white, white. So at least we could compare, compare the nuances with like, I'm a little more French and German. He's a little more, but that's fine. You know, he's, he's gone. We can, we'll, we'll just kind of go back and forth. Well, with that, and, that... And, and it turns out, I think I'm significantly more Neanderthal than he is. Uh, I, I'm like 4%. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's, that's really high. <laughs> I, I thought so. So are you are you actually a Homo sapien then? Really, if you've, if you've, got, if you've got that much caveman in you, you know, I've I've always had my doubts. I know others have, so yeah. Wow, I didn't even know you could be four percent Neanderthal. Uh. Uh-uh. What was the what's the average for North European? Do you know? Uh, I actually see, thought it was it. about two. But go on, you, why don't you quick, quickly go and Google that for, for Middle Australia. Eastern. Well, okay, it says this is more than 53% of 23andMe customers, okay? Mm-hmm. But uh, I looked up, I looked that up, like, what is, who are 23andMe customers? And 77 or so percent of 23andMe customers are European, and Europeans are more likely to have Neanderthal DNA, like, significantly. Oh, yeah, okay. so I'm right there on the average, I'm at 53%, but to a mostly European, uh, you know, well, on the Neanderthal example. ancestry page, it gives yeah. you the average for your ethnic group. So for me, it gives me my percentage. And then under it, it says average for Middle Eastern or North African user, 2.5%. Okay, let's see. You should have that. What I was always, always led to believe is that you have to be European, or at least from kind of the Mediterranean yeah, I thought, yeah, area I thought so too. to have any Neanderthal. That, you know, if you're broadly of African stock, you don't have any Neanderthal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my impression. Yeah, yeah. Mine just says fifty. This is more than so two hundred seventy nine variants. This is more than fifty three percent of twenty three me customers. It says for less than four percent of your overall DNA. Can I try drill down? Think. All right. So, so Travis, does yeah, this me mean? That. Yeah. Does this mean then that you have a big brow and you yeah, can lactate? Yeah. Okay. So you can. Yeah. So what can... does that mean? I see. One thing was lighter hair, lighter mm-hmm. skin, which I thought was surprising, or at least lighter hair. Lighter eyes could be a Neanderthal thing, and n- less or no hair on my back. Oh. And I, I, I always thought it'd be like the other way around, like Neanderthals would Me be too. hairier or something, right? But <laughs> like, and uh, I can confirm, not and, a one, not and a hair. Also, I thought those Neanderthals were a little bit slow-witted. And uh, yeah, a little, little lower intelligence. <laughs> uh, and and um, there was a height gene that I did not have. So I'm uh, like. I think my mom's pretty short, shorter than average, and I thought, hey, maybe that's the Neanderthal thing. But no, I guess I don't. I don't have that gene. It was really interesting. Being as we're on you here, that, Travis, um, why don't you tell us about your racial profiling? What exactly did it say that you were? The surprising thing here, I think, is that there were no surprises. It was European, a hundred percent. Northwestern European, ninety-four point nine, so ninety-five percent. Okay, and now we have. British and Irish is 31%. And then the next biggest group is broadly Northwestern European, mm-hmm. which is, I guess, very old because it's saying as far north as Norway, Finland, south as France. So a really old. Oh, even north and Baltic seas. So a really old thing. That's 30%. And then 
French and German, 29.7. Yeah, 30%. And that I would have... Yeah, my, my great-grandfather is German, um, so must be around a fourth there or, or an eighth or so, or 16th, whatever that is. But yeah, so maybe that's actually higher than I thought. I didn't know it was that I was like a third German, French and German. Then it drops off quickly. So 3% Scandinavian, 0.6 Finnish. Eastern European is 2.2, so there must have been one one relative there way going far enough back. And Southern European is 1.9. So about d- double Davids. So I also have, you know, it's either Italian or Iberian or broadly Southern European. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's basically it. And then there's 1% broadly European, which I guess is just really old, old stock. I don't know. So um, the, the interesting so thing for me is that they couldn't separate French and German. Right. And also with the British and Irish, I thought that would have been like four subcategories. There's like pre-Celtic, then there's Celtic, uh, then there's, you know, Irish and Scots and, uh, well, Celtic. Okay. And then there's Anglo-Saxon and then there's maybe even Norman. Mm. Um, But apparently not. Apparently they just lumped it all together. Kind of the interesting thing for me is that, and it's something which David has touched on on his podcast, is the idea that... Uh, with the Anglo-Saxon invasions, how much of that actually was an invasion per se and how much of that was that cultural assimilation? And I think the fact that they lumped the British Isles together genetically, you know, there's a lot of cultural assimilation that went on with those Celtic Mm -hmm. tribe. Um, So this theory of ethnogenesis, and I first came to it by listening to the British History Podcast, which is Jamie Jeffers' show. So, And and the theory is, is that, um, or at least the theory has changed, the Anglo-Saxon invasions, at first we, we kind of thought this was a massive wave of these Saxon yeah. tribes that came over to uh, Britain and absolutely rolled back the, um, the, the present population there, rolled it back to the Celtic fringes that is Scotland, Wales and Cornwall. Mm-hmm. DNA has kind of disproved that massively. Yeah. In that the Anglo-Saxon invasions, yes, they took place, but were probably much smaller in number than we yeah. actually thought. But what happened was, so some Saxon would come over, create himself as the uh, some warband leader, uh, set up a village, and then the Celtic population would just assimilate. Yeah. You know, yep. within three generations, you know, they yep. said, OK, we are Saxon too. And it, and it made sense because if this is the ruling class, you know, it's probably better if you stop your Celtic ways to get on. Yeah, it was a cultural invasion for sure. But Absolutely. but probably the Celts just started learning this Anglo-Saxon languages instead of, yeah, it wasn't like a genetic it wasn't like a genocide by any means. Yeah. It wasn't like getting rid of the old and replacing with the new. Not at all. Yeah. And that's yeah, you're right. Like. This this was just known, you know, in the last couple of decades through through DNA analysis. Yeah, yep. Absolutely, absolutely. Yep. And and this happens um, all the time it, th- throughout the world, uh, where certain populations, for for whatever reason, just align themselves with with host populations if they can pass. The problem is with people of of African descent is for the most part they cannot pass um, in mm-hmm. populations of let's say arabic uh descent or berber descent or white european you you can't though interestingly there are lots of stories of people who were called african-american that could pass for white so one of the things which are this 
yeah. all this look at looking at DNA is actually done. And so, so many mm-hmm. um, white Americans, when they take DNA tests, find that they are five percent African. And the, see, and the famous yeah, I, example I, I, of this. I thought there on, could Travis. be uh, there could be an example like that in my own DNA, but but also at the same. As soon as I sent off my results, I was also like looking into my own. I asked my dad if he had any. Uh, records and because I know one of my relatives is is really into looking at the old records, and I and I checked and I go went all the way back and the records showed that we were all from northern states going back to colonial days like mm. we were we've been in the Americas for really since the 16th century so like really long time there's mm. like Henry Dow from Norfolk, um, but no slave owners like the whole 500 years or whatever and then i got my results back and i was like okay well that just you know that confirms that i had no idea no one my mom my dad didn't could not have given you a straight answer like did you know were we slaveholders like you know what but apparently no <laughs> but yeah a lot of americans i'm sure they do have that surprise like oh look you're two percent african yeah west african yeah well, the, the first time that I came a- across this uh, kind of phenomena was reading about a specific family um, that grew up yeah. in the, you know, in, in the slave holding South. Uh, so I think I'm a, familiar with the story. Yeah. yeah. And, and they were, to all intents and purposes, they could pass for white. But yeah. that whole kind of 1% drop rule that if you're 1% black, you are black. So they were absolutely yep. shunned by people in the town that lived side by side with people who were visibly of African descent. And then after slavery and and emancipation, uh, and this happened in numerous places within the United States, they said, wait on a minute, why do we have to stay here and and get treated as as third-class citizens, we get second-class? If we just kind of up sticks, move a few states along, no one will know. And this yep. happened much more. Don't, don't tell the kids. Yeah, you know, don't exactly. tell the kids and just move state. And not, you know, Bob's your uncle. You and, can even change your name if you want. Exactly. Yeah. Within two or three generations, exactly. You just don't tell the kids, and then yep. you 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 are just white. And the famous, famous, famous example of this is uh, Sally Hemings. So she was the mistress of Thomas Jefferson. So, oh, right. Yeah. So there's always a story. You know, we all know the story that Thomas Jefferson, what the third president of the United States, had Ill- illegitimate children with his um, slave, Sally Hemings. He took her to France when he was the ambassador mm-hmm. to, right. to France. Now, I just presumed that this woman uh, was visibly African because she was his slave. Actually, she could pass for white. Mm-hmm. Through DNA testing, there always were these rumours that Thomas Jefferson uh, had had children with his uh, slave, and then cause, and also because in his will he kind of, I think he gave them some some property. He kind of yeah. Them. No, oh, yeah. did he? Oh, no, he didn't. Not that he gave them property, but he set them free on his death, I believe. Oh, it could have been. I don't remember, but there was a deathbed. It kind of resulted in a deathbed confession because yeah. whatever he gave them, people were like, oh, oh, yeah. okay, I see. So, so this kind of, this goes to back yeah. up the rumours. And then yep, when you exactly. read further into the story, she could pass for white. She didn't visibly look of, of, of African descent, but that one drop rule back in her history, yep, yeah. she had um, a black ancestor and she was still actually, you know, and she was a slave. And, and maybe something very similar went on um, in France, you know, when you had the Franks going over there and kind That's of... That's also interesting. Be, yeah. I wish, yeah, I could see the layers and, yeah, exactly. When it just says French and German, 
uh, listeners of my show know that 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 just doesn't fly. That's a way oversimplification. There's mm-hmm. wave of wave of immigrants and uh, uh, migrations throughout you know continental Europe. Um, and the British Isles that, uh, yeah, this it just seems like an oversimplification. I wish I could see which layer of that cake. Uh, Frankfurt, great. Does that mean I'm Frankish or, you know, Saxon or mm-hmm. Visigoth or uh, Roman or, you know, so Roman, I suppose not. That would be Southern European. But yeah. So, yeah. Interesting well, stuff, though. Uh, Elias, um, give us your great big reveal, sir. Okay, well... The biggest segment was just 93% just Middle Eastern and North African. They did not break it down any further than that. Um, 91.8 was North African, uh, not Middle Eastern. But what you can do is take a look at where the sample comes from that they use to identify uh, your DNA with. And what it tells me is that the gene that I have is found predominantly amongst uh, Palestinian, apparently, and Bedouin Arabs. So the original, or what previously were thought of as the pure Arabs, so the nomadic Arabs. And basically, I think what we've got, the common theme between us all, until we hear yours, Royford, of course, is that there haven't been that many surprises. Um, The original Islamic invasion of North Africa was done mostly with uh, Bedouin Arabs from around the Arabian Peninsula and also Yemeni Arabs. So there were no surprises. Most of my DNA points to support that. The more minor aspects of my results, I had 5.7% European, um, most of which was either broadly European or Southern European. But again, these are very small percentages, so I don't want to really ah, okay. pay them that much mind. Um, a uh, justification... But, but, but it's, it's, it's an interesting thing, though, philosophically, because uh, you say that uh, you don't pay that much mind, but w- but without that, without even um, 0.1% of whatever, you physically wouldn't be here, would you? So it's an, yeah, actually an integral part of, of, of who you are. Yeah, yeah that is yeah. one of your ancestors, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so one reason why I might have the the European DNA is the Barbary pirates, who were pirates that operated off the North African coast, and they were vassals to the Ottoman emperors. A lot of the actual captains of the Barbary pirates, for example, Barbarossa, were from Mm -hmm. Eastern Europe. I think Barbarossa was actually Albanian ethnically. And the Barbary pirates would raid the coasts of southern Europe, uh, mainly the Italian islands, uh, Sardinia, uh, Sicily, uh, the south of Italy as well, sometimes the south of France, and they would bring slaves back. Um, so maybe that that is a reason why I have that uh, Italian percentage within me. Some of the Italian slaves or the European slaves would actually... There's, there's a story of one guy who went to Morocco and converted to Islam and became a Barbary pirate himself. So mm-hmm. that Mediterranean slave trade of uh, Christian Europeans could be why I have that uh, percentage of European in me. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and I suppose also go, going back to the time of the Roman Empire or yeah. that 
there is there's absolutely no reason why that some Roman centurion who was originally from Gaul or from Italy mm-hmm. or from Illyrium wouldn't have been posted in what is now modern day Algeria and um, fell in love with a local. You never mm-hmm. know. And there was yeah, That's even even true. the Vandals that came down well, the, during, exactly the, during the, the migration period. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. So, yep. so maybe you're part Vandal actually. That that would be awesome. I would appreciate that. <laughs> Do you ever have the urge to like knock over an aqueduct when you see one? Do you just like want to? <laughs> uh, you reminded me of um, one thing I forgot to mention was the Arab Iberian presence mm. uh, and the uh, possibility for European percentage within my results is when the uh, the Mozarabs, which were the Arabs that had lived in in the Iberian Peninsula for over seven hundred years, were eventually expelled by the Spanish kings. Okay. It's Undoubted that there would have been some kind of intermarrying between the native Spaniards and the native Portuguese and the the, the Arabs that were immigrated there mm-hmm. uh, after the dawn of the Arab conquest. But I'm looking at your results here, Elias, and I tell you what what stood out for me mm-hmm. is that you are 0.2% um, Ashkenazi. Yeah, go ahead. 0.2% though. That's that's actually yeah. not very much. Uh, yeah, that's, and that's... also Ashkenazi Jews. Th- Although they're, uh, I believe, Eastern European, Russian Jews. Ashkenazi, I think, are, yeah. Yes, more Eastern, they are. Eastern yeah. European. They, their genome originates from the Middle East. So the reason I probably have that is because we share, I think it's J-O. So I, I'm, I'm not sure what, what, what that could be. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. That actually could be, yeah, exactly. That could be a pre-Jewish like Jewish yeah. migration to Eastern Europe relation. Uh, or, yeah, but point... Yeah, 0.2% is, it's, it was a long time ago either way. Mm. So what surprised yeah. me, my big surprises were, number one, that I had no Turkish in me at all. Um, I was expecting True. At, least, yeah. at least 10%, uh, specifically because my grandma thought that her grandfather was Turkish. And I think she came to that belief just because he wore a Turkish fez. Uh, <laughs> I, I believed that, yeah. <laughs> so I had no Turkish, not even half a percent. Middle Eastern, it says 03 and their sample for Middle Eastern is Iran and Turkey and mm-hmm. Armenia. So the non-Arab Middle Eastern countries, uh, nothing there. That was a massive surprise. And I think I was expecting maybe a bit more from the Iberian front uh, and also Berber. I didn't have that much Berber in me. I thought there'll be a lot bigger mix between the Arab and Berber genetics. Um, but there was nothing there. I was pretty much majority Arab. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting a lot more lot more of a mix so mm-hmm. i want to ask now what 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 surprised you well me this this is who who i am uh, and i i was surprised there's for me there's a, a one significant well there's two significant surprises for me so i'm 94 percent sub-saharan african which that in uh, of itself was a surprise so i'm 91 percent west african so the fact that i'm a majority west african comes as no surprise because mm-hmm. if you know anything about the atlantic slave trade that is the bit of africa where um slaves were, were taken from broadly he says i'm 1.5 percent central and, and southern african and then 1.1 percent broadly sub-saharan african uh but the fact that i'm 94 percent sub-saharan african that was a surprise to me because as i think i as kind of said before my family on on my maternal side that whole side of the family the callums are quite fair skinned 
so my mother has green eyes. So my yeah, children... enough to have green eyes. That's that's a recessive gene. So that yeah. means I would think you'd have quite a bit of it. Yeah. Well, I guessed I was going to be more kind of just less than twenty percent European is what I would have thought. And we, a cousin of mine, uh, a few years back, did our family history. Um, and this is on, on my mother's side. And we discovered that anybody who is a Duffus, uh, and my gra- my grandmother's maiden name was, was Duffus, is descended from King Duff of Scotland, who's a king in the ninth, sorry, in the 10th century, nine something or another. And the, the Duffus family then became aristocrats in, in Scotland. And then two waves of the Duffus family actually moved to Jamaica, one in the 18th century and then one in the 19th century. And you can go on to Google and Google the Duffus family. And there is a kind of Moriband family website. And, and on the front of it, mm. it shows you uh, these Duffuses from all around the world holding flags. And there is one Jamaican, so somebody who was black holding a flag. There's people from Scotland, mm-hmm. uh, a white guy from Scotland, from Australia, etc. That's actually uh, kind of cool, that website. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it, it's, a, it's, it's absolutely kind of fascinating. Now, And then because on my maternal side, so many of the family are relatively fair for, for black people i just presumed i'd be significantly more european than actually than i was um what percentage were you expecting i was expecting round about between 15 and 20 percent that would have been my, my guess and then also okay. on my father's side uh, my, my grandmother once told me she passed away about 10 years ago now but she once told me uh that her grandmother's grandmother was married to an Irishman it took me a couple of minutes to process really what she was saying and I thought she was saying well you know she just got married to this guy and and they had no issue in inverted commas but it was it was a really kind of a reverse racism and and really she was saying her great 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 grandfather was a white Irishman but she didn't want to say that what she said Mm -hmm. was was a you know her her yeah. grandmother's grandmother you know were, was married to an irishman so on both sides of my family there were at least there is this this kind of family law that um, we have this kind of european blood and and then when when my so when my cousin if i go back to onto, onto my maternal side so when my cousin did the the family tree there is um a descendant of ours who was born in 1830 who was cast as a creole and mm-hmm. about two years after that, I think, is when the British Empire banned slavery. So he was born a slave and he's noted as being the property of, of somebody. And But we have his death certificate and on his death certificate, he became somebody of property. And he had shops which he bequeathed mm-hmm. to um, his descendants. And we just kind of speculated that maybe he was the um, the slave owner's son. And because what a lot of slave owners did when they had child with their slaves was, you know, they never actually um, legally um, acknowledged them. But on their death would actually then give them property because it was strange that he was born a slave. But then when he died some 70 years later, he had significant holdings of property. Yeah. Yeah. He moved up. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, we we suspect that um, that actually forebear um, was um, 
was in effect half white. But so so that was a surprise for me. I'm only 3.4% European. So I'm 0.4% British and Irish. So that kind of tallies with this whole thing about us coming from Scottish uh, gentry mm -hmm. or aristocracy. Uh, and I'm 2.4% broadly Northwestern European. So that could again be yeah. British again. So that that make, makes sense. Uh, but I just thought it's going to be in, in, in a larger dollop. It's, it's as simple as that. And then I'm 0.2% uh, Southern European, and of which I have no idea what, where, where that comes from. But the big surprise for me uh, was that I'm 2.2% East Asian or Native American. Are uh, you really? Yes. Yeah. Yes. See, I was expecting that surprise and didn't get it. I was like, you can't be... Because my, my family's been in the Americas for, oh my goodness, you know, 400 years and I'll, and zero percent Native American, really? Yeah, okay. That, there you go. Interesting. For me, the takeaway was I'm not as European as I thought, and and also just on on the European thing. Two biological children, Norinella, and their mother is white, and my two biological children have green and blue eyes as well. So that was I was just absolutely convinced that I was much more European mm -hmm. than I was. But, but yeah, I, but I, and I, actually, you probably do have that recessive gene. Then you probably do have green yeah, eyes I, in I, you. I, I absolutely must do. But this Native um, American thing, uh, that that was um, a bit of a surprise for me. What I put that down to is, is this. And I suppose you never really know with this stuff, do you? But in, in Jamaica, um, when the British came and captured the colony from the Spanish, which is round about um, the 1860s, the 1850s, 1860s, when the Spanish departed... Um, a lot of the Spanish slaves then went into uh, the hinterland of of the island and and hid from the British. And at that point, there were still um, significant proportions of the Arawak Indians, and the Arawak Indians were mm -hmm. the original inhabitants of the uh, Caribbean of the West Indies, and they intermarried with them. They became known as the Maroons, and the Maroons are famous in Jamaica because they were never truly conquered by the British. The The hinterland of Jamaica is sufficiently still hilly and mountainous that they could hide out, have their own culture. And mm -hmm. the famous leader of the Maroons is a, was a woman called Nanny who successfully fought the British and actually had a treaty whereby they're acknowledged as this kind of separate people. So I'm guessing that my Native American stock is actually the descendants of the maroon people in jamaica and you can still that go to be, yeah. you can still go to uh, maroon towns in jamaica in the center of jamaica and have their own distinct culture to all intents and purposes they look like jamaican but they'll tell you that they're absolutely not we are maroons you know we fought the british we were never conquered mm -hmm. by them we have our own treaty etc and um, I had no idea that um, I was significantly kind of part maroon, uh, you know, and, yeah, and that yeah. comes at that Native American strain. That was my absolute uh, surprise. And um, so, so yeah, I'm going to go build myself a teepee, a wigwam um, after this, <laughs> and, uh, and and commune with with, with with my ancestors. And I'm, gentlemen, I'm offering you a peace pipe as as I speak. What was your your uh, Neanderthal? Percentage one percent, one percent, one percent, and David's was I'm surprised it's even that. 
Yeah. Travis, what was yours? It said less than four, which, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty mine, high. Mine was 2.2. Okay, uh, yeah, that's higher than I would have thought, too. I yeah. thought you would be like one and, and uh, Roy, Royfield would be like zero, but okay, yeah. The average for the Middle East is two and a half, so I'm below, I'm below the average for my region. Look at, looking at your uh, results again, Elias, I tell you, I don't yeah. think which did surprise me. Mm-hmm. About you is that you are you only have a bare trace of being sub-Saharan African, you know it's, yeah. it's very small, and and I and I just presumed I know kind of Black Africa does start some way down in in Algeria, mm-hmm. but I just thought with all the movements of kind of, kind yeah. of population, I just presumed you would have been uh, more. To be honest with you. That's well, really interesting. Yeah, I would have thought so, more European, you know. But yeah, yeah, or it's one of the two. But it's really they're they're um, what's the word? Uh, independent or like secluded from each other? That's just fascinating. Yeah, I think the Sahara poses a much bigger yeah. barrier than the Mediterranean Sea. Well, well because... big, bigger than I would than I thought. Also, because you think of like Timbuktu, or you think of a certain popu- a certain percentage of Egypt being black, for instance. You know, so you just you just think of like, yeah, of course, there was this a certain even if it was just a trickle, there mm-hmm. was this trade back and forth. So, uh, you know, you'd think there would be a, a slightly higher percentage. But, you know, it's, I, it's I wasn't that I wasn't that surprised by it, I think, because yeah, OK, the trans-Saharan trade was just that there wasn't just trade. More. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't yeah. more than that. There wasn't uh, any intermarrying or anything like mm-hmm. that, because if you look at the map of Algeria, the Sahara, uh, forms quite a large proportion of it and mm. Sahara as I said is a much formidable natural boundary than the Mediterranean Sea for example it's much easier to get on a ship and go to Italy than it is to yeah. cross the Sahara and go to Mali and very few uh, had the knowledge to do so I think one of the biggest uh, uh, sort of black people in Af- uh, in Algeria sorry are a people called the Tuareg people and I think although they're black I think they're they've got a large Berber proportion in them and their population as you can imagine is very small because they live in the desert in the desert and they were them and people people like them were the sort of carriers of the trade so there wasn't uh, a sort of significant Arab presence beyond the Sahara even the Moroccans who were I think the only North African people that went into West Africa for example they conquered the Mali the Songhai and uh, I think parts of Ghana even, um, they're the reason why Senegal, for example, uh, a West African country, is predominantly Muslim. Um, mm-hmm. Even they, the majority of the armies yeah. that they would send into West Africa would be black mercenaries or black conscripts mm-hmm. from southern parts of the Moroccan Empire. Yeah, but but that also does show there was some back and forth. And then uh, I, I've only been to East Africa, like Kenya and Tanzania, but like Tanzania... Especially like Zanzibar, the the Spice Islands and the Indian Ocean, they're they're black, but they're also very Muslim, like ninety percent in some some of the towns. The, but if you go back historically, it was the capital of the Omani Empire was even way that far south, you know, in mm. in Zanzibar. So you think, okay, there was definitely some trade, and they've they've discovered everything from Arab to Chinese pottery and Persian, and and then you know, of course, trade south down the coast. So there is some, but but also you're just kind of in the middle. You're not in Morocco or really, you know, towards Egypt yeah. or even further east. So you're just kind of, you're really, you know, just there in the most secluded part 
where yeah where the mediterranean is clearly the better option for trade perhaps yeah i think no. yeah another reason for that yeah the the mediterranean is a better opportunity for trade yeah also like i said at the beginning of uh, our discussion um algeria was never a sort of big power regionally um unlike oman which you just mm-hmm. mentioned oman were a massive trading empire um mm-hmm. they colonized yeah. much of east africa whereas algeria didn't really didn't really do much the idea of algerian state is modern we've only existed for about 50 years and mm-hmm. morocco who were usually the big player in north africa were not big traders either um any sort of instep they made into west africa was mainly conquest and even that yeah. was quite limited so- many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey they can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wagovi and zepbound for those who qualify plus they accept most insurance plans To get started visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com/pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com/acast, code acast. The trade wasn't uh, down to state players, it was more independent merchants mm-hmm. doing their thing. One area which fascinated me was as much as the kind of racial profiling was the section to see who we are all related to and where they are. Um could you tell us a little bit about uh, your family and its current migration patterns people that are related to you David throughout the globe Oh one thing I want to know is the Neanderthal thing How many Neanderthal genes okay. did you have Okay so I'll answer that as well Okay so here we go <laughs> So as it happens uh, Royfield as I most of my uh, there's still a very strong connection with the origin of where we've always felt we've come from So there's still a very close connection with the north a lot of my uh, family on there a lot of our my cousins and more distant relationship are there um the if you look at the surname site you will see that Halifax is still the center of a crowther name um further back i am absolutely standard on the neanderthal front so 2.7% uh, neanderthal my wife would tell me and my kids would tell me that it's it's around about 98% but apparently not <laughs> I mean, uh, I had nothing um nothing first cousin nothing second cousin nothing third cousin I think fourth cousin uh, I had a couple of people um I sent them invitations but the shared oh. DNA was very small I had things like 0.14% so on that front I was unlucky unfortunately but, which but I'm quite disappointed by but but where were they though where where were these people you shared oh, your DNA with uh all over 
But I think mostly American. I think that goes down to uh, 23andMe's customers being mostly in America. Mm. Um, if I just bring up one of the guys that I shared with, his name was Honest Ebe. Um, mm. Our shared segment was 0.16% of the total result. And uh, he resides in the United States. Um, he shared with me the J1E uh, Haplo group. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it's called. And that was that was from my paternal line. And that haplo group uh, originates in, uh, I think, parts of the Arabian Peninsula, but it's concentrated mostly uh, in Yemen, which is the south. So this guy, I think he's a black gentleman, but he had uh, quite a mix of uh, DNA from all over the world. So, And he was the closest to me, and that's 0.16%. I didn't have anyone that had more than 1% shared. Okay. Kind of to echo you first off there, uh, Elias, I have hundreds of matches in the United States which I think tells you as much about my family's my wider family's migration patterns and also about uh, the penetra- the marketing now served 23andMe actually within the United States but I look at a map of the United States and it's peppered with people who I am I have a few third cousins but you know fourth and fifth predominantly what, what was the highest uh, shared DNA that you found um, there is just under one percent um, w- with somebody, just just under. Um, so I do have a third cousin on there. Um, but interestingly, for me, and I'll come back onto the whole kind of migration pattern uh, later. There are quite a few white. Uh, I do have quite a few white cousins. So there was somebody in Germany, somebody in France, and then actually somebody in my hometown of Birmingham. Who have uh, oh. who was um, I think a fourth mm-hmm. cousin, a uh, uh, Mr. Turvey, and he had his profile picture on there, and he's as as white as you there, Travis. You know, from, from yeah. the outside and so, stuff. Yeah. So again, it just goes to play up that percentage of me that is um, European, I, I presume. But the mm-hmm. you can't be um, of black stock and and be whether you are african-american or whether you're um jamaican or, or let's say caribbean without you written in your dna is, is migration because if you are black which means predominantly african you know and you, you're not in africa it means you, you've traveled but then also that you're going to have fragmented dna all over um the bits of the new world where slaves were taken to uh, so it really comes as no surprise I have so many uh, fifth cousins, um, etc. in the United States. But then one of the things which probably isn't really appreciated by um, populations outside of the Caribbean was that even in the colonial times, there was so much movement of people as well. So mm-hmm. I had some cousins in Panama, uh, Puerto Rico, uh, Trinidad. Now, if I just looked at the Panama uh, connection alone, uh, the, when the Panama Canal was was being built, um, it was built off the blacks, uh, off the back, sorry, of Jamaicans predominantly. So the Americans went in, they finance uh, this war, so Panama separates from Colombia, so they can build this canal. So Panama as a state is completely utterly created by by the US. Uh, but they advertised for Jamaicans to go and build the Panama Canal. Uh, so you'll see in somewhere like Panama, 
uh, in the city of Cologne, which I do cover in How Jamaica Conquered the World, uh, that mm -hmm. Cologne is actually a Jamaican city, it's pre predominantly black. It's on the uh, Caribbean side of Panama, and mm -hmm. a lot of the black people there have English sounding surnames, so they're Johnson and Davis. Yeah. But they, the third and the fourth generations of them now actually yeah, do I, speak I, Spanish. So I've been to like an identical, I've been to Limon in, uh, in Costa Rica, mm -hmm. which is, yeah, so, you know, everywhere else they're like Hispanic, they're Latinos. And then the Caribbean, they, they speak a really neat, like a mix of English and kind of a Creole Spanish and English and and the food is different, and yes. they're all, you know, African American or African Latin American, whatever. And oh, it's just great. Yeah, I think the food's better, but uh, don't don't tell my wife that. <laughs> so it, it's just absolutely kind of fascinating that you have this migration of predominantly, well, absolutely of black African slaves, which comes to the New World. Uh, yeah. from the 16th century on all the way to, to the 19th century. And then you have significant movements afterwards and also um, to Cuba as well because our, our family, our, I don't, there, was, there was no markers actually in Cuba, but my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, told the story of the fact that he didn't actually know his father because his father went to Cuba in the 1920s and 30s. And uh, the fact that there were no, like you said, I had no relatives there, I think is down to the fact that 23 and me, there's, you know, it's not big in Cuba. But w our family has always said that because he did, my great grandfather never came back, and he went as quite a young man, that uh, must have relations actually mm -hmm. in Cuba. And maybe that is the reason why there is somebody in, in Puerto Rico. Maybe somebody from Cuba then went to Puerto Rico, and that's the reason why I have a distant yeah. cousin there. You know, so, um, but yes, you look at the map of the United States and it's just peppered all over. And actually, even in the Bay Area, there I've got two relations um, in the Bay Area, distant, distant cousins, <laughs> uh, all the way up in Oregon, loads in New York. It's just, and then as I say, then, yeah, then some, some in France uh, and then kind of some, some in Germ Germany as well, as well as obviously some in Jamaica as well, which, which I actually wasn't aware of. Um, Royfer, I wanted to ask you, um, yeah. are you curious at all to find out where exactly from West Africa you are? Because as you know, even today, West Africa is quite a diverse place. So do you want to find out if you're Yoruba or, or Bantu? Um, you know, I hadn't really thought about it that way, to, to be honest with you. Um, I tell you, as a little kid, I always thought that if I go back a step, sorry, the series roots was absolutely seminal. If you were of black slave descent and living in the Western world in the 1970s, I don't know if any of you are aware of roots. Yeah, but, I've seen Toby. Yeah, exactly. And Kunta Kinte and uh, Kizzy and all of that. And it was just growing up as a little kid in the 1970s, that's kind of, key part of black consciousness in that we were supposedly a people without um without a history in terms of we couldn't go back too far before um it was just impossible to find out who exactly we were and then here was our story kind of writ large mm -hmm. and um and even though it was kind of subsequently kind of discovered that alex haley made a lot of that up it still stood as broadly speaking 
um, a history of a people. So you know, we, we somebody gets captured as a slave, taken taken to the new world, and they start this new life, a life a life of bondage. Um, and our and the, 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 and there's this one kind of pivotal scene in um, in in Roots where when Kunta Kinte is being born. He's uh, just after he's been born. His father holds him up to the stars, and you know, and says, "Oh, the, you know, the, this is my son, and I give you, mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, he's part of the world, and here he is, blah blah blah." And it, and it's incredibly emotional. I'm sure if I watch it now, it'll be somewhat kind of uh, somewhat cheesy. You know, they've redone it. I just saw it on. Oh, it's I, dreadful. I'm rewatching dreadful. a new version on. It's dreadful Net- though. Oh really? I only saw the first the first no, one on uh, Netflix or somewhere like that. It's a yeah. real TV movie. It's it's real bad. I I, I watched. Oh, okay. I watched a bit of it um, a couple of weeks ago. And oh, then, okay. And then Kunt Kinte when he has his child, he's now a slave, and he's, he's in he's in America somewhere. Um, holds Kizzy up to the stars and, and evokes you know his ancestors and says here he she is blah blah mm-hmm. blah blah, and. I don't know why, but I always thought as a little kid, I'm um, I'm from my folks are from Mauritania. Don't know why, it was just a ridiculous feeling. I always looked at the map of West Africa, and so that puts me somewhat slightly north of, of Senegal. And I have no reason, Elias, for ever thinking that other than I just thought it would be nice. Um, I'm somewhat surprised that with with the DNA uh, kit and testing. It couldn't tell me how much, let's say, Nigerian or Ghanaian or, you know, or we could break it down in Yoruba or, you know, and whatever that, that I am. But it's funny. I suppose I was more shocked about the the lack of uh, of Europeanness in me. And then the, mm-hmm. the amount of Native American, I hadn't even got round to thinking about that. But I always yeah, yeah. thought, just looking at a map of West Africa and kind of knowing that it's going to be from Mauritania southwards all the way to, let's say, the Cameroon that I could have come from. That as a little kid, I always thought uh, Mauritania, that that's where my people were from. But it was absolute nonsense mm-hmm. because they would have come from so many different places. Yeah, it, yeah. About, have, yeah. yeah. So just to say it was one, but as a, an eight-year-old kid, that's you got to have. I mean, that's kind of the, the family mythology. Like, my family has that, too. And we, I mean, as a kids, we went to Scotland. I've been there twice now. We went to, um, oh, what is it? Loch Lomond, Lomond or something. And there's mm-hmm. just, you open the, the phone book and there's three pages of Dows. And it's like, you know, that's that's probably only a small percentage of my actual ancestors. But yes. that's the family mythology. It's like, where, that's where the Dows are from. We're from there. Because mm-hmm. um, just you got to keep it simple. There's because, oh, my goodness, you have so many ancestors and they all had such rich lives and came from so many different places. Um, so, yeah, Mauritania is as good as any other, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I would disagree. I was going to say, if you would, if I was to judge, I would say it's very unlikely that you're from Mauritania. Um, Mauritania is one of those... Uh, one of the few countries that are within the sort of satellite of influence of the North African countries like Morocco. Mm. So mm. if you look at their ethnic breakup and their demographics, um, the percentage of actual West African-style black people is uh, is a minority. Um, the official language is Arabic. Well, th- well, Elias, 
actually, I was going to go on to say that I kind of didn't know that, right? But I think Mauritanians, and, and, and this is the eight-year-old me, so trust me, I'm, <laughs> I, I agree with you, right? But when I look at Mauritanians, um, especially people in the South of Mauritania, to my untrained eye, they look black. But I know that Mauritania is, you know, it's, it's a Muslim country and, and also it's part of the Arab League. But those people, mm-hmm. to my untrained eye, look black. P- people from the south. I'm not talking about people, people from the north there. And the, the, the actual population yeah, yeah, yeah. of Mauritania is actually quite small, considering that it's actually quite a large country because it's predominantly desert. But anyway, yeah. this is the eight-year-old me just wanting to connect with some, some part of Africa. So, you know, but anyway. Anyway. That, that, if that I was you, that. I, would, I would make it my sort of quest now to find out where, where my... Uh, Damn it, where I'm Elias! From. That's what I'm gonna do. Are you not interested? I, I'm. I'm actually interested for you. That's actually itching me no. because I saw this, <laughs> there was this show. I can't remember what it was called, but basically they'll bring in uh, black celebrities. I saw an episode where they brought in uh, Nas, the rapper, mm-hmm. and they would find out what basically what we're doing now. Their DNA results. They'll do that, but then they went deeper and they found out exactly what uh, ethnic group, um, what tribe that they were from. And they would break it down to these uh, big ethnic groups that still exist today, like the Yorubas and the Bantus. So you could go, uh, they did it with uh, Erica Badi as well. And then she went back and uh, she met up with uh, basically the people that were her same ethnic group. And they showed her the traditions and the mm-hmm. traditional instruments. It was really interesting. You know what? I think you also narrow it down automatically as the sample size grows. Like as, as more people take these DNA tests, you'll just have more stuff to compare it to. Mm. And uh, then you might then you might be able to say, oh, hey, now I know I'm from this this narrower region. Um, yeah, yeah kind of interesting. But twenty three and me is it's really good uh, if you're of a, a European descent. But the problem yeah. is for people like me and Royfield. Um, mm-hmm. When you look at the samples this, they this, use to the, the samples the, is just smaller. Yeah, yeah. much yeah, smaller. Yeah, yeah. And also when you look at the samples that they use to determine whether you're West African or not, I'm looking here. They use their own customers, but they also use genomes from the human okay. yeah. the human genome diversity project. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at it now, and it says the populations they use, Sierra Leone, an ethnic group called Lohia, Yoruba, Mandinka, uh, amongst many others. And these are quite widespread, well, I, and they're, they're very different from one another. For example, Yoruba and Bantu are very different. So that's why it's, uh, it's quite difficult to find out exactly which, which one you're from. But I'm sure with the raw data you could contact someone who would be able to help you if you're interested in it. Well, no, um, absolutely I am. And uh, just for uh, kind of more more disclosure on this, I um, actually got a kit from my son um, Mm -hmm. because I think he would absolutely be a a, a Benetton citizen of the world because um, purely uh, from the outside and you know these things can be uh, somewhat kind of misleading but his mother is is white uh, so she's a white Canadian Um, she she knows that on her paternal side that the family hail from Ireland but she's somewhat kind of Mm -hmm. olive skinned Uh, and I've uh, and I've always said you know you must have a lot of southern southern European in you uh, and on her maternal side, the family hails from Germany. So the, the family's surname is Schneider. Um, mm-hmm. I had actually hoped 
to actually get Noah in on this uh, kind of session and then have have our reveal that actually he's my son. So he was going to, you know, end up being... Um, you, I would now have thought, looking at my DNA results, that he's going to be more than 50% European. But there's something in him, dare I say it, uh, there's an X factor because, as I say, his mother is um, quite olive-skinned. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though you know she can travel on an Irish passport because of her uh, paternal grandfather, and then yeah. the the maternal uh, family surname is actually Schneider. So, but there, but there is absolutely no way there isn't some kind of Southern European or or something or maybe Arab or something in that family. But anyway, um, maybe that's for for another podcast. Um, so, gentlemen, start starting to wrap this up. What does this say? Uh, what does this tell us about identity? And does it, in fact, change the way that we view ourselves and our families? Interesting question, actually. Uh, in the Agora Exchange conversation I had, actually, I was asked that very same question. You know, what do you what do you think of yourself as? And for me, this only confirms what I've always believed that actually. Uh, your language in, in England doesn't define who you are, which group, which nation you think you believe to. That's all about who you feel you belong to and which group you feel you belong to. So I'm very firmly believe that um, England and Britain has profited through the years from immigration. It's made us a much stronger, more diverse place. And I very much hope that continues. And I don't think that ethnicity actually defines who you are or who you, which group you feel you belong to, which nation. That's about a whole combination of things, about where you're born, who your friends are, where your loyalties lie. So it's really interesting. It's fascinating to know where you've come from, but I don't think it defines how I feel about my nationality or my nationality. Uh, perfect answer, perfect answer. Over to you in London, Elias. When I was discussing this uh, with my mother before, when I was awaiting the results, I was telling her that no matter what result you get, you're you're going to have to be proud of it because essentially, it's, it, well, not essentially, it is who you are. So you would be happy with whatever you receive. I don't think identity-wise, I don't think anything's changed. I was just slightly surprised that I didn't have any other ethnic groups mixed in into my DNA um, yeah, I was really surprised part Ottoman Sultan or anything like that yeah nothing like that not even Berber that was an even bigger surprise uh, actually when I look at the DNA relatives there's actually mm. uh, to my surprise quite a few people that did it that are residents of Algeria and Morocco and I share nothing with them 0.1% and I was looking at one of the people that I sent an invitation to and the lady was uh, basically uh, a Berber lady. Most mm. of her DNA was Berber. So that tells me that I'm just basically an Arab. And what I, what I did was basically I, I sort of formed a story uh, in my mind where or an early ancestor of mine was one of those soldiers that were recruited or volunteered to take part in the early Arab conquests of the Middle East. And then eventually they found their way to Algeria and uh, settled down there until now mm. I'd say the, the one thing which I've really got from kind of not really studying but you know, looking at uh, family histories that when you go back we have the further you go back let's say in more settled populations and I'm saying that yours is kind of a more settled 
settled population there, Elias, is that you have a lot of the, the same relative appears again. That after, when you go back after a certain amount of generations, you'll find that you have, um, let's say, a grandfather or a grandmother will appear in numerous kind of branches actually of your family. And so it's not that, let's say, after, I don't know, five or six generations, you, you, you know, it, you have the same amount of relatives exponentially. It actually kind of cuts down. And, and, and I think you'll probably have a little bit of that as the reasons why there is little diversity in, in, in your background. And it, and, it, and, it, and it probably says that it was probably more settled or more um, segregated, for want of, a, want of a better word. Um, certain certain populations there um, in North Africa than you, you probably kind of kind of realise yeah. that there were communities living cheek by jowl with with each other which didn't actually intermarry. You know? Yeah, that's really surprising because I go to Algeria quite often, and there are a lot of people who speak. Uh, um, Arabic and uh, a Berber language, mm-hmm. and they claim to be from from both sides. So, I, I thought that I would have uh, at least some some Berber in me because of the just the vast amount of people who claim to to be from both sides. Mm-hmm. There's still a significant mm-hmm. Berber present uh, presence, sorry, in Algeria, um, not as much as Morocco, and they're not that isolated from the rest of the population. There are a few mm-hmm. isolated communities who are isolated because of where they live. But there are a lot of Berber people, or people who say they're Berber, but they do speak the language, that live throughout Algeria and uh, in the cities. So I was really, really surprised. Yeah. Well, I think David kind of makes the point um, that, you know, kind of the language is kind of one thing, and then there is kind of like the, the blood, which is another. But, you know, the very fact that you can have... You can have very clearly the genome for an Ashkenazi Jew and when you think about this so people of Jewish descent were expelled from um, Palestine Israel 2,000 years ago so heaven knows how many generations that is and Mm -hmm. even though they have kept their uh, idea that their religion and their culture very obviously after all those generations there were a certain amount of people that still peeled peeled off into mm-hmm. the wider society but still that mark that genetic marker is still there after 2000 years shows you that you know in 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 many populations throughout the world that peoples can live side by side physically end up looking almost exactly the same but only denoted really by their their culture but still they are genetically different. And I just find that absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. You know, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, what, what about you, Travis? D- does this change exactly how you see yourself, your family, and, and its identity with the it, results that you got? Um, has, it, well, has it changed anything? Not. It hasn't changed so much. I, I mean, again, the surprise was the lack of surprise. Um, and I think it, it, it kind of goes into my own family research as far as like where we've you know, when did we get off the boat in the in North America and um, and when did we start moving west? And the interesting thing is, is that it does kind of confirm that or even even um, exaggerates that I'm from a very narrow band from northern England or Scotland and, and maybe far enough back Ireland. Um, but they, you know, wave after wave, they came to the States 
but still they didn't really intermingle like so I, and now i know from family records that they moved around on the eastern states for a while and then uh, headed west you know as the frontier opened up and and you know here here i am here we are none of us you're in san francisco elias is in london and i'm in and i'm in california none of us are where our grandparents or great grandparents were and yet all three of us are saying the same thing as far as like oh we're surprised how homogenous our our mm. ancestry was um that's interesting. I'm 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 actually surprised to kind of see a pattern in in at least all three of us. David Crowther, at least he stayed put. He was like, well, I'm I'm from 50 miles from where you know we were a thousand years ago. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think that's that's uh, kind of fascinating fascinating in general for, for me myself. It just kind of um, it, well. So for one thing, I'm I'm putting a stop to this 100% European BS. Uh, my my wife's Costa Rican and is like one one quarter Chinese, and uh, so that's 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 gonna be that's that's the end of that. Like my children are gonna be um interesting. Now I definitely want um, I instantly you know as soon as I got my my results I wanted to see what my wife's would be. So eventually we'll probably have do the the test for her, and because uh, she really doesn't know that much of of her Spanish or Chinese uh, ancestry. So, um, but. Yeah. Otherwise, it's it's kind of been interesting. Uh, the big surpriser was my Neanderthal heritage. Um, it explains my lack of back hair. Uh, <laughs> it says I should have a unibrow. I, I don't think I have a unibrow, but I don't know. I'll take a I'll take a close up after this and and post it. That yeah, it was just kind of it was neat neat to kind of see it. I guess a lot of it was neat to kind of see some things confirmed. It was just kind of question marks before you have this or that record or this or that family. Um, mythology and you can just kind of put it to rest in, in a way that that's kind of neat mm. uh, yeah I, I absolutely found it fascinating in the extreme but it kind of taught me that I need to uh, Elias is absolutely right that I actually do need to look more at my um, kind of African side of the family Elias has really posed something to me that I think a lot of families kind of uh, do, but specifically um, a lot of kind of Caribbean families, we kind of slightly define ourselves by the fact that primarily the descendants of African slaves and, and everybody who is who lives in, in North or South America knows this. You're primarily you're of, of African descent, but we don't we don't exactly look like West. Africans so, and we know that there is a percentage of us which is European and for the most part that is going to be um, our slave holding forebears who um, push themselves on on slave women and that's just fact mm -hmm. um, and specifically let's say in in my family we focused not entirely but because of the that, that genetic legacy is just obvious when 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 you look at us. As I say my mother is very is very fair for somebody of of black black descent and has green eyes. And and our family has focused quite a lot on that in terms of our family origin story. So we know that uh, that the Duffuses were from Scotland and that they were aristocracy or gen, uh, gentry mm -hmm. and we know that there is a parish here just outside of Inverness uh, the Duffis family oh, parish yeah. we, we uh -huh. know all this stuff 
And what we haven't done, because it is harder, there's no two ways about it, but it's not impossible now with the with 23andMe, is actually to look at, well, okay, that is 5% of us, 4%. But what, what about I mean, the, the actual African heritage? Cause, because the thing is... Yeah. You just have that bias there because you did have those records. You could yes, take a last exactly. name and say, that's all I need to, to trace myself back, you know. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And and the, the, it, it's, it's going to be, those records are not going to exist in terms of, you know, parish registers of births and deaths in, uh, let's say, northern Nigeria that just don't exist. Right. You know that that link w- was absolutely broken when when the slaves were were taken over the Atlantic and in effect dehumanized. You know they didn't have their names, you know their, their, their surnames, yeah. let alone their, their first names and stuff. But through something like Twenty Three and Me, it is at least possible if if the samples are there to discover. Well, you know what, I'm more Yoruba than I are than I'm Mandinko or or whatever. You know, so you've told me, Elias, what I need to do. So I need to thank you for that, sir. You are. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, I think it's time we should maybe maybe wrap this up. Elias over there in London, uh, if anybody wants to uh, message you, contact you or listen to your your podcast, how exactly can they do that? And tell us exactly what you're working on at the moment. I'm currently working on the History of Islam podcast. Uh, Started it back in November, so fairly new. We've got... 14 episodes so far if you want to check it out historyofislampodcast.blogspot.com well uh, the I have a website uh, thehistoryofengland.com so you can just go straight there and see all the resources and download the podcast or you can go to any good digital aggregator so iTunes or Stitcher or any of those guys or any of the podcast alley places how about so, Acast yeah. could somebody um, go to Acast oops yes of course <laughs> go to the Acast <laughs> Yes, of course, you can just nip along to the Acast app and download it straight from there. Brilliant. All right. Um, Over to you, Travis, in Santa Clara. Same question. So, yeah, I... uh, um, The the one I'm working on right now, the one I'm writing for right now, is a history of Germany. And uh, they're all on podcastnik.com. That's podcastnik.com. And uh, I'm just finishing up the Saxon miniseries for the History of Germany podcast. So, um, yeah, go go check out stuff there. Fab. And if you want to catch up with any of the podcasts that I do, there are a few which might interest you. Um, I've kind of dusted back off uh, Mid-Atlantic. looks at um, UK and US politics. That's Mid-Atlantic. And you can find us at midatlanticshow.com very close to my heart is a love of American politics obviously it's one of the reasons why I do Mid-Atlantic so I do a thing called 10 American Presidents uh, the next show I'm going to do is about the 1948 election so it's uh, President Truman and, and Dewey when they go head to head and uh, I also uh, which kind of belies my Jamaican heritage I do a thing called How Jamaica Conquered the World which looks at the spread of Jamaican cultural influence throughout the globe primarily since 1945 Um, you can find all of my shows and Travis's and Elias's and David's on um, the Agora Podcast Network that's agorapodcastnetwork.com which you'll also find a whole slew of other shows whether it's the history of the papacy or American biography uh, the history of Egypt there are too many to mention 
here, but go to agorapodcast.com to find great independently produced podcasts. Uh, we'd also like to thank 23andMe for this opportunity to do this show um, but by giving us the kits to discover who exactly we are. Um, that's been Roundtable Talk with me, Royfield Brown, Travis Dow, and David Crowther, and Eliza Bell Haddad. Um, and um, we'll all see you again sometime soon. Bye bye. Goodbye. Bye. There you go. Thanks, gents. The Agora Podcast Network. Agora is a marketplace of the mind, where intelligent, independent podcasts meet curious and discerning listeners. Our network of shows includes American Biography, The Bohemian Podcast, How Jamaica Conquered the World, The History of the Papacy, The History of England, The History of Alchemy Podcast, Mid Atlantic, When Diplomacy Fails, Thousand and One Conversations, History of Anglo Saxon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Secret Cabinet from Germany. Ten American Presidents. The History of Germany podcast. The Agora Podcast Network.com. Listen to Agora today.